Hi, this is Dr. Laurie Santos. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. We believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can build a more connected community. Neighbor to Neighbor. It takes a neighborhood. I hate saying this. Congratulations, Jordan Brenner. Thanks, Tom. What am I being congratulated for? Early voting. You were early on early voting. Look, had the feel, had all the right markings of a winning horse and, you know, a great thing for American society. Early voting for the win. (laughs) Oh, the markings of a winning horse. That's right. He turned it into a horse race. <laughs> what? That's not even a pun. It's a it's a horse race. It was a horse race. But I mean, the voting was a horse race too. It was a primary achievement. It was a great day. And when I looked at my phone four hours at the Preakness and remember that the Preakness was running, <laughs> I was very happy to see that my horse won. Now, what you heard was, cha-ching. If only I'd actually bet on it. But of course, you know, as is my life, the one time I get something right, I make no money. No, we got to cut it after cha-ching. We can't find out that you made a pick on here and you degenerate gambler did not actually put a bet on early voting. Right. You know what, though? I won Justin Thomas over the weekend. Put a couple PGA bets down. I won with Scotty Scheffler at the Masters. I won with Justin Thomas at the PGA. So I know you're all waiting for my US Open pick in a couple weeks. Now, are you one of these uh, bet on he's going to finish in the top 30 or the top 20 guys? Or you go for the absolute winner? Because... In horse racing, there's this weird, although it's a 10,000-year-old tradition, right, of winning in the top three. Of course, if you had extended that just down to the top five, all of our picks were in the top five. I know that doesn't count in horse racing, but- Bippy Longstocking is coming in to the world. Are you like one of these, oh yeah, my golfer's going to finish in the top 150 this weekend type of bettors? No, I mixed in some different bets. So I bet like four or five guys to win outright. I bet a couple top fives and top tens, a couple guys to make the cut. You know, I like to have a bunch of different things to root for during the tournament. Makes it a lot more fun to follow. Well, I would say pretty soon DraftKings is no longer going to put Zalatoris top five on the board because it's just (laughs) easy money at that point. Zalatoris, another heartbreaker. He's going to do it. He's going to come through. He's so young. Go Deeks. We had a lot of Deeks in this field this year at the PGA, but could not beat Justin Thomas straight out of Louisville, Kentucky, St. X. You know what it reminded me of? The Deeks in the NCAA tournament. Oh. Eight to shoot. Paul, the runner. Loose ball. It's good. With 4.4 to go. Shannon. Don't want to fall. Shannon from the corner. It's over. Gonzaga. The slipper still fits. The cry goes up both far and near for underdog, underdog, underdog. Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sideline. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my kid, I even in the guys' league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog, Underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby! Rick Strike in a stunning, unbelievable upset! Shock it all in college basketball! Underdog! Underdog! I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Right, George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder. Underdog, underdog, underdog. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. Welcome to Underdogs. I'm Tom Haberstroh. I'm in Miami. My shirt is on. My pants are on. A huge underdog upset there. Uh, there's, There's Jordan Brenner. There's Peter Keating. 
We've got lots of baseball to talk today. We're going to give you some picks at the quarter mark of the baseball season. I guess we could call that the rounding first base part of the season. As we round first base on the Major League Baseball schedule, we'll give you some picks. And then we are going to talk Indy 500 after the Preakness victory by Jordan Brenner. He's feeling excited about this uh, Indy 500. We're going to learn about the Indy 500. I don't know too much about it, but you know who does? Peter Keating. Rev it up, baby. Gentlemen, start your engine. I just feel like we're going to be going in circles on this one. Ovals. We're going to be going around in ovals. It sounds like you guys are partial to some cars here, not independent, like Indy. You're not an Indy. No? Okay. All right, and then... <laughs> oh, an Indy. Wow. That's a joke with a checkered past. <laughs> We're going to get to Vet the Bet, everyone's favorite game show. Vet the Bet. And you remember, how did Jordan win last week? Because he bet the vet instead of vetting the bet. We've come full oval to vetting the new bet. And of course, we can't leave today's episode of underdog without talking about underdogs in the nba playoffs basically the under is having a big postseason we're going to talk more about that and maybe some connections to all those blowouts all the blowouts in the nba playoffs so let's get into it baseball i'm going to be going to the june 2nd lou gehrig day in miami next week very excited about that i am gonna eat my shoe or take the foot out of my mouth about Trevor's story um, because he is just on an absolute tear here after I talked on this show about how he's not been a good signing for the Boston Red Sox. But that's not all. Jordan, what kind of picks are you going to be really excited about on this episode? Yeah, I think there's some value still as you kind of look through the future market, teams to win the division, teams to make the World Series, MVP, Cy Young. And I'm eyeing a few that I may uh, I may have to actually deliver on on a bet here, unlike my 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 early voting call. And I'm uh, I'm eyeing that team you're you're visiting this week, the Miami Marlins. Do they accept early voting? How early can you vote for some of these teams? How early can you vote for the Cy Young Award in Florida? I don't even know if you're going to be allowed to vote soon. So the Marlins are right now plus. 2,000 to win the NL East. That is an implied 4.8% chance. <laughs> they know the Mets are in that division, right? Right. DraftKings has to know. Wait a minute, Tom, what do you mean? You mean that no team should be allowed to fall under 20% as you're in the division with the Mets? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. They're the Mets. Because the Mets should never be allowed to go over one-fifth of a chance? <laughs> well, we're talking about the same team that went 48 and 40 in the first half and then went 29 and 45 in the second half last year. This that that Mets team. Yes, with Max Scherzer that just went on the injured list, that same New York Mets. Wow, what a massive insult to Buck Walter and Eduardo Escobar. And all the other guys bringing character and grit and a new culture to New York. Are you done? I am. Do we have to talk about Miami? Let's go. Go ahead. Yeah, we do. Bienvenido a Miami. Listen, the Marlins, plus 2,000 to win the NL East. That's an implied 4.8%. Fangrass doesn't even give them that high a percentage. They're 2% to win the NL East. But far be it for me to disagree with the, the people of Fangrass. But the Marlins have a lot of reasons why I think they have a run in them. They're only 18 and 23, but their Pythagorean record is 22 and 19. Part of the reason they're underperforming is they're six and thirteen in one-run games. Oh, that should regress just due to better luck. I absolutely love their pitching staff. Still, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez. They get Jesus Lazardo back. Trevor Rogers figures things out. Big rebound! Big rebound coming from Trevor Rogers. We like them going into the season. They have a, as good a potential five-man rotation as as almost any team in the league. I'd feel better, I think we were talking, if there was a, a big position player prospect on the horizon. Yeah, I'd feel better if we could name their leadoff hitter or their cleanup hitter. Ah, well, can we? I can't. Where's Jazz Chisholm batting? Jesus Soler or Aguilar? It's Jorge Soler. Oh, yes. And things are going really bad if I correct somebody on a name, Shaturkin. <laughs> but that's right. Jorge Soler with his 290 on or 250 on base percentage could hit leadoff or cleanup for the Marlins. That's right. 
I like him too, Jordan. Not just because I'm going to be going to that Giants game next week. Marlins Giants, 640 tip, Lou Gehrig day. Tip. Tip. What is this? I'm still in playoffs. First pitch. Who's taking the jump ball? Jorge Soler? Here's a tip. Show up early and see batting practice. <laughs> Miami, like you said, there are five games under 500, but they've actually outscored opponents by 13 mm-hmm. runs, which is the Pythag you're talking about here. And if you don't know what Pythagorean expected wins is, go listen to a previous episode. Uh, Maze, you can kind of clip this in, which episode that is, of Underdogs, where he explains why you should be looking at that in terms of predicting the future. It's probably a better indicator than the actual record. It's important. You become you become exponentially smarter if you understand the Pythagorean theorem. Wow. I'm picking up. I don't know if the audience is picking that one up. I hope the audience didn't pick that one up. Jordan, I'm agreeing with your Miami Marlins pick. I'm as much buying the stock of the Marlins as I am selling the New York Mets. I'm sorry, Peter, but got to say it. Jordan, I know this is this is just an extreme. You'll go to any length to support some old Yankee hero of yours. And I know this is a closet Mattingly pick, which is fine. (laughs) I think there's value there too. And I think what's really impressive, like to be serious for one moment, what's really impressive about the Marlins is they, I I don't know if they do a good job developing position players because it's such a pitcher's ballpark and, and the lineup is a little weak, but they do a great job year in, year out developing arms, don't they? They, they bring guys up as relief pitchers who then become really good starters. And I think you're also both right. We loved Trevor Rogers before the season began. He's big, he's strong, he's tall, he has great command. His command has deserted him for long stretches this season. He, he owns a, a ghastly ERA and seems to deserve it from the underlying stats. But I can't believe he's going to keep being that bad. And if, if he's anything like his last year self, that's just... It's tough to see they got guys they can depend on for the entire turn through the rotation. Look, Trevor Rogers, my long shot Cy Young pick earlier this year in the podcast, he has one or fewer earned runs in four of his seven starts. He just blows up every once in a while, but otherwise he's an ace. So I do think that Trevor Rogers has that ceiling of being the ace for this staff. And I think he'll get there for the second half of the year, or I guess as we approach the second base of the year, Trevor Rogers. Big fan of him, still believe him, and he does have flashes where he looks like that guy. And let me ask you guys this. I mean, Sandy Alcantara has gotten a little bit of notoriety as a top pitcher in Miami, but uh, how about Pablo Lopez? Jordan, you like Pablo Lopez as a stealthy Cy Young pick? (laughs) Let's not give away all my picks today, but absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. He's plus 1,100 to win the NL Cy Young, and he's one of the three guys I have my eyes on there. You know, his, his... Conventional numbers, 204 ERA, 0.96 whip are right there. His FIP is 2.40, so he's not exactly, you know, pitching to great luck. And uh, his expected ERA is 294. He's he's going to be right there. I think plus 1100 is a is great value for him. You agree? Yeah, and we think the team's going to be moving in a direction that's going to get him some more credit, right? which I think is a good idea when trying to find value in the picks. You know, so often you'll see guys who aren't going to get at bats or guys who are buried on bad teams that are going to stay bad. They're not going to get enough notice. Nobody's going to notice the good seasons they're having. But if a team's going to move in a good direction and a guy's going to keep playing well, that's a good combination. In fact, I don't think there's anyone I like better as a long shot or, or you know, not one of the obvious favorites for the NL Cy Young. I mean, why not Pablo Lopez? You know, I like Zach Gallen, who's at plus 1,800, and he's got an expected ERA right now of 2.03. His actual ERA is 129. His whip's 0.86. That's a guy to keep an eye on. And Joe Musgrove, plus 1,200, 190 ERA, 0.94 whip. As an aside, it's, all these numbers are ridiculous because nobody can hit anymore. But I think all those guys are, are, are worth a shot just based on their early starts. And, and in Musgrove's case pitching on a really good team. I have a long, long shot, plus 2,500. Max Scherzer's down there. Oh, geez. Why can't he just come back and pick up where he left off? So we're just, we're going to wipe out the two months of the season he misses? That, that, that doesn't matter? I don't know. What if he still has 200 strikeouts and 14 wins at the end of the season? What if? What if he creates more value? What if? Why don't we just pick DeGrom then? Okay, let's <laughs> put DeGrom on the list. If those guys can create more value in 16 weeks than Joe Musgrove can in 22 weeks... 
Why shouldn't they win the award? Why not Chris Bassett or, or Tawan Walker? Maybe uh, Tyler McGill, <laughs> Cookie Carrasco. I wish you just pick all Mets. No, is Frank Viola up for the award? <laughs> yeah, uh, is Mike Pelfrey still pitching? Oh, is he still lick his hands? Yohan Santana still there? Yeah. Tom, you got anybody you like? I don't have any for the Cy Young long shots, but I just think that Trevor Rogers, I'm still riding that train. Whether he's going to win Cy Young or not, I don't think so, but I think Trevor Rogers is going to come back. I've got a couple good AL ones too, even better odds on this one. So I was eyeing Michael Kopech for a while, who's plus 3,000, but then I kind of talked myself out of it because I thought, well, he's going to have an innings limit. We don't know what the innings limit is, but that's going to hamper him. They'll shut him down at some point or, or limit him. So then I moved on to... I still think Nestor Cortez at plus 1,200 is a really good value. He, first of all, has a great narrative. Second of all, he's a great mustache. And third of all, he has fantastic numbers. He's got a 1.80 ERA, a 0.89 whip. His advanced numbers show he's not pitching to good luck or anything like that. I, I think there's no reason why he can't keep this up, and they're a great team, which will help him. But from the really long shot perspective... Now, wait, 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 wait. When you say Cortez has a great narrative, are you talking about the fact that this is a guy who gave up 16 home runs in 66 innings just a couple of years ago, and now he's just stopped doing that? Yes. Or are you talking about the fact that he's the Hialeah kid because his dad won the U.S. visa lottery? You remember the one that President Trump said was biased against Europeans? and let all the wrong people into the country? Well, they let Nestor's dad into the country, and he took his seven-month-old son with him, and settled. they settled in Hialeah. That's why they call him the Hialeah Kid. Talking about that part of the narrative? Not that one. You know what part of the narrative Jordan really likes? The fact that he's a Yankee. He's a Yankee. The mustache part? Yeah, well, they let him wear a mustache. Of course, the, the, the Yankees who are still so religious about their facial hair, which is still the weirdest thing in sports, is that the Yankees need a clean-shaven or mustachioed player on their team. I think if he wins the the Cy Young for uh, Movember, you should grow a, a Cortez mustache. They wouldn't do it for Johnny Damon. I'll do that. And I think that we should investigate, did Garrett Cole's facial hair all fall off when they banned the sticky stuff? Just wondering. Anyway, my real long shot at plus 4,000. Oh, this is going to be awesome. Yes? Tariq Skubal. Oh, yeah. That's a great pick. 222 ERA, 105 whip, 208 FIP. Not pitching to good luck again. These are legit numbers. Not on the best team in the world, but as a real long shot. The Screwball, the Screwball, the lefty, plus 4,000. Bet it in profit. I love that. He's He's got a 50 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio. I mean, that's what you want to see. His, uh, as you said, his FIP is just like the guy, the guy is a great pick. I love this. And they just need a little bit more hitting. But then again, this year, uh, I think, I think the voters are a little bit more enlightened that they're not going to totally look at the win loss record, which is probably holding him back a little bit here is that he's not going to be backed by a really great team, but who knows if Detroit goes on a run here, adds a couple wins and, he keeps his ratios going. I think he could have a really cool story. He's allowed two home runs in 44 and two-thirds innings. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. He's striking out a lot more batters. He's walking fewer batters. He's giving up fewer home runs. He has not been lucky on balls in play. Uh, and, and you know, it's not like we were talking about with the Marlins where the Tigers should be winning a lot more games given their stats. But you can hope with the Tigers that their young players – will perform significantly better and create some more wins. Like what if Spencer Tarkelson just just has a really good second half and the you know the Tigers hang around 500. Um that'd be a big deal and he could pile up some impressive uh some impre- more impressive numbers. That's a at plus 4000. I feel like I'm making people a lot of money today. Well, you would be except I think you left out the best AL Cy Young candidate at plus 800 Shane McClanahan. Wow, you're really going off the grid there from 800. Yeah. That's right up there with Peter's lukewarm corner. Shane McClanahan, originally drafted by whom? That's right, the Mets. Did they sign him? No. (laughs) He went to school at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And then when he graduated college, he was drafted and signed with Tampa. So there you go. His next pick to win the the long shot to win the World Series is going to be the Dodgers. Just wait. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. All right. They've got this up-and-coming MVP candidate, too, named Mookie Betts. You really should notice him. 
By the way, the fact that Mookie Betts is not a runaway favorite to win the NL MVP right now behind— Manny Machado, right? Machado and Arenado. I mean, come on. Is there a player—if you traded Mookie—if you switched positions, Mookie Betts for, let's say, Aaron Judge, is there anyone who you could bring back that would make the Dodgers better instead of worse? Nestor Cortez. Would the Dodgers really be a better team— with Arenado instead of Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is on pace to score 178 runs. I still hate that stat. Runs scored? What is this, 1984? Yeah, Peter, this is the Underdogs Podcast. We're trying to enlighten people with really interesting information that they can't get anywhere else that's going to help them be smarter as fans and make winning bets. And you just brought up Mookie Betts, his run total projection. Tell me about how many triples he has, too. That's fine. I like triples. Triples are <laughs> exciting. a demonstration of how fast you are and how good you are at getting well, on. This is actually this is actually an interesting discussion. When you were young, like six weeks ago, and they put the irrelevant dumbass statistics on TV, nobody ever put up, oh, he's hitting 276 with a 402 on base percentage and he scored 104 runs. They put up average home runs and RBI, right? Here's the thing that makes RBI so much worse than runs. You can have a ton of RBIs and not generate any value at all. You can't actually have a lot of runs. What does it take to to drive in a bunch of runs? It takes a lot of guys on base and then you get some hits. In order to score a lot of runs, you actually need to get on base, which is the single most valuable skill in baseball. If only we had another stat that showed us how often you get on base, regardless of, of whether you get driven in or not. Well, actually, if you look at runs per hit, for example, just for example, two very basic numbers, you got to be doing a lot of things correctly. You have to have power, speed, and on-base potential to get a lot of runs per hit. By the way, there's only been one player in all of baseball history who had more runs than hits over the course of an entire season. Not Barry Bonds, not Ricky Henderson. It was the guy who hit leadoff for the 1930 A's who had Jimmy Fox and Mickey Cock and a whole bunch of Hall of Famers behind him. And he walked 100 times a year. His name was Maxie Bishop. Anyway, let me just say this. <laughs> you know, I heard Maxie Bishop used to drink with Dick McGuire. There's one guy right now in MLB who has more – one regular player – who has more runs than hits. This is how far I'm taking this. Wow. That's right. I'm going from Shane McClanahan to the Dodgers to Mookie Betts to the guy who is the best still, AL MVP candidate, who has 24 runs on just 23 hits at plus 1,400. That's right. Still my man, Byron Buxton. That's correct. He's Byron Buxton has 11 home runs. He hasn't even played in 30 games yet. And let me just say, you want, you want to talk your advanced metrics as though you guys want to tell me about runs scored not being important? Okay. All right. Here's your advanced metrics. Stats 102, your batting average on balls in play. Byron Buxton's BABIP is only 185. I love his 283 on base percentage too. Outstanding leadoff man. His BABIP is 185. Can you imagine once that goes up 100 points, which it will, that guy's going to be like minus 600 to win the MVP. Get him now. He's leading off with a sub 300 on base percentage. That's because every ball he hits happens to have been going to somebody's glove through the first quarter of the season. Or that he has 34 strikeouts to 10 walks. That doesn't help his batting average, does it? That doesn't help. Nope. Add up his last 150 games and tell me if they look like an MVP line to you or not. And by the way, the Twins are going to win that division. A 211 batting average with a 293 on base percentage is MVP? No, but by the end of the season, it'll be about 265 with massive power, massive speed. And another massive stint on the injured list. Scoring a lot of runs and an all-world defense. I don't know. He will have more days on the IL than he will home runs. Okay, I'll take that bet right now. Get off my lawn and go look at Byron Buxton's defensive or as they call them, web gems, online for a while. Just tell me what you think. Tom, give us a real winner so we can save our audience from these pitfalls. Who's your AL MVP pick? Otani? Trout? Come on. Come on. Who are we going deep with in the American League? I mean, Justin Verlander would be an interesting pick. Didn't Tom pick up Nolan Gorman in his fantasy league? He could be Rookie of the Year. By the way, Rookie of the Year, Juan Yepes. Oh, I have him in fantasy. Long shot rookie of the year, O'Neill Cruz. Have you seen that guy hit? The Pirates sent him down. He's a shortstop who looks like he could hit like a thousand home runs a year. With a massive home run swing. He's a plus 3,000. He's not in the major leagues yet, but he could be a good rookie of the year candidate. 
Not if he's not in the major leagues. He's got to get here sometime soon. Who's to say? You know who is in the major leagues and who's at plus 6,000 but would be a fun rookie of the year pick? Is the Royals catcher MJ Melendez. You guys you guys on this, this bandwagon yet? He had 41 home runs in double and triple A last year. Led the minor league in home runs, minor leagues in home runs. Sal Perez has been a little dinged up. The Royals are splitting him between catcher and DH, but they are giving him regular playing time. Just hit a monstrous three-run shot the other night. Look him up. Yes, Adley Rutschman's getting all the hype, all the praise, but there's another catcher. Impress your friends. Go out and talk about, that's right, MJ Melendez. You heard it here first. If anyone goes out to talk to their friends about MJ Melendez, I'd like to apologize to your friend. Friends don't let friends mimic Peter. It's just not a good idea for any friendship. As far as we know, MJ Melendez is not one of the Melendez brothers. Tom, seriously, rescue us here. MJ Melendez is my killer pick. (laughs) Okay, I've got my boy, Wander Franca. Right now, he's at plus 4,500 on DraftKings. I love that pick because he's just coming off a quad injury. He's been a huge slump, but he has as much young potential as anybody in Major League Baseball. The Yankees are going to come crashing down to earth. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to take the division. And I would say that they're going to look at that AL MVP from that that team. It's going to be Franco. He is so good, and he's coming out of his slump. He's had the leg injury. I think he gets healthier, and he's going to go on an absolute tear the rest of the way. Another one with a fantastic on-base percentage of 283. Wait, Tom, are, are you outdoors? Because I, I thought, yeah, I thought you, had, you had gone way out on a limb there. To, are you sitting in a tree? It's more of a quad taste. And Wander Franco. Wow. I, I, I'd like to pick somebody with just a little less well-known, like maybe Aaron Judge, you know? You just did Shane McClanahan or whatever. Right, at plus 800. Who's like the third on the list? Third best odds. You guys don't like Mookie Betts and you're going with Wonderful. Wow, all right, all right, fair enough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. We're not talking horses. We're talking automobiles. I actually don't know too much about the Indy 500. Does that make me un-American? No, I think we're all American guys here. And that means I think we all know where car racing in America comes from, right? Where American motorsports is... Guys taking apart lawnmowers or dead cars, taking out engines, putting them on top of crates, attaching them to some kind of wheels, and driving through fields and racing along tracks or big square or round spaces. It's not like people with French and Italian names racing cars through the streets of places like Monaco, right? That Formula One business, well, IndyCar kind of combines both of those. Your IndyCar circuits have some races that are just flat out driving like crazy people around ovals, as well as some of these, you know, 
drive through the streets of Pacific Palisades or whatever. It's, it's a mixture. So no, it just means you're you're like a you're American who appreciates stock stock car racing with ads all over the suits of the drivers driving around old farms. That's what, that's what we're trained to like as Americans. So you know this this uh, this IndyCar hybrid Formula One thing. Yeah, the Indy 500 is a national holiday, but it's more of an acquired taste, I would say. Jordan, you're looking at me like I have three heads. There's just a lot to unpack there. <laughs> a lot to unpack. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Good old-fashioned American racing is stock racing. Like, we don't necessarily, you know, informed American citizens don't necessarily know anything about IndyCar racing, right? I just feel like I have to apologize to anyone with a French or Italian-sounding name after Peter mercilessly ridiculed them. I listen, I don't. I never ridicule, ridicule anybody who does stuff that I can't do. I think I'm making fun of Helio Castroneves just because Tom doesn't know whether the IndyCar oval you steer to the right or the left? No, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just saying. <laughs> Have you been to the Indy 500? Have you been there? Have I? No, I don't even drink milk. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Although I visited Charlotte once and I did do what was called an Alan Kowicki. Alan Kowicki was, of course, the legendary Polish-American driver. Let's offend everybody. And he celebrated his big win by driving backwards around the track once. So I, I've done a Kowicki. But I have not been to the Indy 500. Underrated holiday event is going to the Charlotte Speedway. And they do a big like Christmas light show at the racetrack. And you just drive around and go through this track at the Motor Speedway. And it's it's actually pretty awesome. You turn your – this is very old-fashioned, but you turn your radio to a certain station and it plays the Christmas songs. And the lights are in sync with the music that is playing in your car. It's the most North Carolina thing you can do. Have you ever been to an actual race? Yeah, I've been to Martinsville before NASCAR when I was in college. And that's the shortest track on the circuit there. And you go there wanting to see wrecks. It's just the weirdest thing. You go there and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see all the crashes because it's a short course. And they just go. They just are always doing turns, a harder turn than normal. And we didn't see any crashes. It was crazy. But it was a lot of fun, Martinsville. Now, people say that the gap between seeing it in person and seeing it on TV is huge for motorsports. Like pro football is now designed to be watched on television, right? And if you watch a pro football game in person, there's actually all these weird pauses that are there because it's set up so the TV viewing audience has commercial breaks and whatever. But it's supposed to be the reverse. Did you find that with motorsports? You can like the noises, the smell of the fuel, all that stuff. It's just much more exciting in person. Oh, 100%. Definitely one of those things you have to do. Um, I also recommend monster trucks. Going to a monster truck event is like mind-blowing. It's so much fun. I did that with my my son when he was little, really little. And it was it's so loud. So loud. And so is NASCAR. When you go to a NASCAR race, it is so loud. And the other thing that's crazy about NASCAR is you're, I wouldn't say encouraged, but you can bring your own beer and sit it down at your seat. You bring in a six pack of Miller Lite and you sit down at your chair and you can just drink there with your own beers from the outside. So it's just like a, a very um, a festive atmosphere, but you must wear uh, noise protectors or ear protectors or ear muffs to like the 10th degree. It is so loud and you don't realize that until you're actually there. So highly recommend. But we've gotten off track. Oh, we got to talk about Indy 500. So give me some of your favorite tidbits you got, uh, Peter, from your research on Indy 500. All right. So the Indy 500 is more like a stock car or NASCAR race than almost anything on the IndyCar circuit because it is an oval. It's not a street race. And something very interesting happened at the Texas Motor Speedway in March, where Jimmy Johnson... Wait, Jimmy Johnson? He's an IndyCar now? Jimmy Johnson, of course, legendary NASCAR driver, not just legendary, but dominant. I mean, a dominant NASCAR driver uh, since last year has been driving IndyCar. He wanted a new challenge. And he had not fared particularly well. I mean, it's amazing to me that you could just start street racing and not immediately crash at any level. But he did all right. But in March, 
in his first oval, his oval, his IndyCar oval debut, he finished sixth. And the other drivers were amazed. I mean, here was this guy who's known as a NASCAR driver who was highly competitive, making the kinds of passes that veteran racers would make on this oval course. And he was as high as fifth with only three laps to go. He had a telemetry issue. What that means is the sensors in his car went out and with about seven laps to go, he didn't know if he could control the car at all. Despite that, he navigated to a sixth place finish. And then what ha has happened since is in qualifying races to see who, what positioning you get for the Indy 500, he did really well. The, the, the qualifying races this past 10 days or so were the fastest of all time. Uh, Scott Dixon went over 230 miles an hour at average speed to claim the pole position. Jimmy Johnson ended up 12th. He is right now ninth on the list of bets you can make to win. And he avoided crashing during qualifiers. There were a bunch of crashes because guys were driving so fast. Jimmy, John Jimmy Johnson has quick hands. He avoids crashes. He's one of the greatest drivers on ovals ever. And it would be crazy, right? It would be crazy. It's, it's, it's not quite a completely different sport, but it kind of is. It'd be kind of like, you know, switching to a, a different kind of baseball or switching to a different basketball league and dominating that. And so I think it'd be kind of cool, but I also think he has the skills. And I also think as an IndyCar driver, he's performed really well on this kind of course. So that's the official pick of Peter's Hot Wheels? Jimmy Johnson. My official Hot Wheels pick is for the NASCAR guy to come over and, and win the Indy 500. It's a wide open field. You know, there's, there's nobody who's even money or anything close to it in this field. And I think he is at plus 1,200. And that's, a, that's an interesting bet. I think there's value there. I'm seeing on DraftKings right now, Jimmy Johnson plus 1,600. 1,600, so okay. You can get some better value there. I see that. Um, I looked up the past 10 winners, or actually 12 winners of the Indy 500, and I added up all of the odds of those winners, and I found the average odds of the winner of the Indy 500 is plus 1,300. So Jimmy Johnson would be a longer shot than the average winner of the Indy 500. But I'm going to go with Will Power. Will Power at plus 1,400. Very close to that average. Is that just a name-based bet? Come on, you can tell us. He's just tempting us for more puns, really. Because he has the persistence to make it through the race. He believes in himself, yeah. Will Power is going to do it. I like that name, of course, at plus 1,400. Very close to that 1,300 average. But if we're going with names, man... A super long shot would be Marco Andretti, the grandson of, of course, Mario Andretti, the maybe the most famous racing family in motorsports. I would say yeah, plus five thousand is a little uh, too too long for my taste. What's that? Do you guys hear that? That's Vet the Bet. Let's go. favorite game show vet the bet debuted on the super bowel show at levitard show we did it a couple weeks ago it is making its triumphant return here to the underdogs pod podcast of course what is vet the bet it's where i vet the bet i look at a bet's history in a particular event sporting event and then i ask the panel here jordan brenner and peter keating what the answer is Today, I have a vet the bet question for you. Are you ready, Jordan and Peter? I could not be more ready. We're locked in. Actually, I've just bet Jimmy Johnson. Now I'm ready. Wait, not Will Power? Okay, here's the question. Will Power will not run out of gas. Okay. <laughs> vet the bet. Scott Dixon is officially in the pole position for the 2022 Indy 500 and is currently the odds-on favorite at plus 550, currently on DraftKings. Going back to 1911, what percentage of Indy 500 winners came from the pole position? Is it A, 10%, B, 
B, 20%, C, 30%, D, 40%, or E, half have won the Indy 500 from the pole position. 50% is E. So I'm asking 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50. Jordan, since you are behind in the standings, you have one correct, one properly vetted bet to Peter Keating's two. You have the first response and giving some extra time to the leader in the clubhouse, Mr. Peter Keating. Jordan, what say you? Don't feel the pressure, Jordan, just because you've won only half as often as I have. Based on absolutely no knowledge of IndyCar racing, I will say that there probably is not a super strong correlation between having the pole and winning. Therefore, I will go with A, 10%. Jordan Brenner has filed his answer of A, 10%. Peter Keating, what say you? Well, as they say where I come from, not for nothing, but I actually think it's not about the correlation between the position and how well you race. I think these are not independent events. I think you get the pole position because you've demonstrated you can drive faster and more safely. So I don't think it's a big relationship, but I think it is worth something. So I will say, am I right in saying 20% would be choice B? 20% would be choice B. I will say choice B. Peter Keating, you now have properly vetted three bets on the board. Three to one. They call it Hot Wheels because the heat is on. Hot, hot, hot. hot. Oh, the heat. Bring the heat. The high, hard one. The high heat. (laughs) Hot sauce. Hot tamales. I'm so excited. That is correct. B, 20%. Oh. 21 out of the 105 have won from the pole position. Jordan, I do not run the business of underdogs, but I want to let you know we will honor your contract if you want to walk away now. It's okay. Oh, Peter, it's just heating up. (laughs) It is. It's just heating up. I will give Jordan this. I will give them this. Over the last 10 or so years, there's only been one winner from the pole position. So Scott Dixon this year, he is the pole sitter, as they say. Am I right in saying that? He's the pole sitter. Scott Dixon is officially in the pole position for the 2022 at plus 550 on DraftKings. I'm staying away from that bet, not just because of that stat, but because this is the Underdogs podcast. We love the Underdogs. Speaking of underdogs, there's no need to fear or quaver. Underdog is here to save her. Underdog. The under is having an incredible run this postseason. Believe it or not, if you had bet in the NBA playoffs, the under in every game this postseason, you would have been right 60% of the time. 60% of the time, the under has come through. And my question is, why do you think that is? Because I'm seeing lots of blowouts and I'm trying in my head to see if there's a connection between the two of all these unders that are happening. Um, They're 46 and 31 on the under. If you had bet 100 bucks on every game this postseason, you'd have $1,082 in your pocket. So my question, Jordan... Do you have any theories as to why teams are just not scoring as much? On the scoring front, you know, I'm thinking more about the blowouts, to be honest. And I think that we know three-point shooting is more and more frequent every year. We're, we're approaching new levels. I think, I think teams are shooting threes. What did we look at? About 41% of their field goal attempts are from three right now. More threes equals more variance. More variance equals potentially wider scoring margins. Other than randomness, I'm not sure what else can account for so many blowouts going both ways in the same series, right? It's not like the same team is kicking the other team's ass repeatedly. One night, the the Celtics dominate the Heat. The next night, the Heat come back and, and, and annihilate them. So, Jordan, let me ask you this. And I'm sorry, I just thought of this now, but you saying it made me think of it. A way to test that would be to say, let's say... The, it would be because what would be happening is that you'd be hitting the under because one team out of the two has a particularly randomly bad night. And so you'd get, let's say, a game that's 100 to 70 instead of more games that are 81 to 79 games. You'd be getting more games where 
one team has severe fall-offs creating the under, right? And I, that certainly seems to be the case in what we've seen so far. It doesn't seem like we're dealing with Knicks-Pistons 1990s series. It seems like we're dealing with teams that are all of a sudden scoring 80 points one night and getting blown out, and then the 100 to 80 blowout comes in reverse the next night. I think there's something to the fact that coaches are more worried about injuries and seeing what happened to Embiid there at the end of that game. Um, I think that coaches might be pulling their starters or at least coasting a little bit more once the game gets out of hand. They had to bring them back because of the fact that the second unit was doing so well, the bench guys there at the end of the game, that they were like, I guess we got to dust off Steph Curry and play him in this. But I think a lot of times in these playoffs, coaches – are just throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, we need to protect our stars. You're seeing a lot more injuries over the last couple of years. And what we're seeing is 22 games this postseason have been decided by 20 or more points. That would be second most all time. And that's a lot. Like, it's becoming a thing, right? Like, you're, you're sitting down with your kid. You're sitting down with Eli and you're you're like, all right, let's watch this game and then it's a blowout, and I guess it's bedtime already, so maybe it's good that these things are blowouts, so you already know what's happening. There have only been 74 postseason games, and there have been already 22 blowouts, which means that one out of every three games is going to be a blowout. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like three out of three games these days are a blowout, but that would be the highest rate for any postseason. 30% of the games this this season have been or this postseason have been decided by 20 points or more, so... I like that theory that the under is hitting because those teams are – they're more blowouts and maybe you slow down and just kind of let the clock run. Pace is down in the postseason. Jordan, we looked at this a little bit and that's kind of – that's normal. Pace usually drops by three possessions a game. But anecdotally, it feels like these blowouts are happening early in games. Teams are getting out to really big, really early leads. So it's not like it's a 10-point game – that kind of becomes 12 or 14 with a few minutes left and this to pull the starters and they inch it up to 20 at that point, right? So I don't know. I, I, like, I agree with your point, right, that coaches are more concerned about rests and injuries and such and pull the starters, but I think there's something else to do with it, why these games are such big margins early. The other piece of it is I don't fully, and we probably need to research this, I don't know that teams are are scoring less when they do empty the bench in garbage time right it could be that nobody's playing defense at that point and just teams are taking easy layups and they're actually getting closer to the over i I, that's one i'd love to just find a way to study so i don't know why that's sort of relating to the under well to that point do you think just flat out injuries are a direct cause of a bunch of this i mean so many injuries mounting everywhere do you think it's harder to come out when you're missing somebody or harder to adapt when you're suddenly missing somebody to score affecting more than the defense at least in the short term so it's affecting the offense more than the defense yeah i mean i think that's possible i think perhaps your chemistry is not as great offensively but then that should work in the other direction on defense is that if the if the players are in and out of the lineup like you're seeing in this miami heat series where robert williams is playing and then suddenly he's not marcus smart is playing suddenly he's not al horford has covid but he doesn't Derek White has a kid and then, yeah, he's back with the team and then doesn't know what <laughs> there's a lot of lot of variance with the three pointers. There's a lot of injuries. I don't know if referees have an influence on this. You would say that all the foul calls would drive up the scoring, not lower the scoring, because if you get to the free throw line, that's a very good thing if you're an offense. So it's it's kind of a mystery here. I mean. The other thing I'll point out is that the East is 26 and 11 on the under. Most of the most of the under is hitting in the Eastern Conference. So maybe it's just the Eastern Conference defense. Those defenses are just locking down. I don't know what that would be about, but it's something to think about. Do you think the pace has slowed more in the East than in the West? It's possible. Maybe hunting? This is another theory I have, is that hunting defensively takes a lot of time to hunt. It does take time. And so maybe you're just working the clock more and hunting for a certain defender to be switched on to Luka Doncic or on to Jimmy Butler or trying to get Tyler Hero on a switch. That creates a much longer, deeper shot clock, which lowers your point totals because pace has been so driven down. 
I like that theory. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Another tough one to test, but I like it. I guess we could look at in the future, look at the halftime over-unders, right? If if the halftime over-unders are always hitting under or over, that could probably help explain some of these phenomenon. It isn't unprecedented what we're seeing. Like in 2016, there were 24 20-point blowouts. And what's interesting there too is that the under in that postseason hit 61% of the time. So it might be a coincidence, but that was a very under-heavy postseason that also had a ton of blowouts. Feels like a, a, a Sloan topic to explore, the correlation between blowouts and low-scoring games. Jordan, did you say it's up to over 40% of all shots now are three-point attempts? Yes, sir. Does that mean – what do you think about this? Like we, we would have said – when we say looking at college basketball that increasing your variance is a good underdog strategy – seems like everybody – like there's so much less of a gap between teams who do this and teams that don't in the pros, right? Right. Is expanding the variance, taking a lot more threes – clearly, it used to be something of an underdog strategy when the Rockets – like like I, I always remember the Rockets taking 50 threes and beating the Spurs in the first game of their series five years ago – five years ago? Six years ago. 2017. And – that strategy was great and lasted exactly one game, right? Then the Spurs adjusted and, and stomped them. Is that an underdog strategy anymore? Or is it just everybody's becoming more efficient, so everybody's shooting more threes? And and if that's the case, then increased variance is just going to be a feature of the whole league or of the whole postseason? Or? Well, it could still be an underdog strategy if you just increase the frequency even more. Take 70% of your shots from three, right? Yeah, because I'm wondering what the upper bound is. How far you can actually take that? Well, we'll find out next year when Lamelo Ball and the Charlotte Hornets are just going to pull up from forty feet every time, because you do need guys who can just like step into off the dribble threes, because that's the way you control your three point output. Not the Warrior sense, because right. if you're always right. running off ball actions, it's less you're less able to get those three pointers up. But then again, Jordan Poole can get his three point shot off, and so can Steph. So it's a pool party. Speaking of pool parties. It's hot here. It's hot. It's all so hot. I heard a rumor that you might be looking at some Tony Awards next week, so stay tuned for that. Go follow at Jordan Brenner on Twitter and at Peter Keating, NJ, not MJ, on Twitter for, for him. And I'm at Tom Haberstroh. Any last thoughts here for the Underdogs podcast? There's trouble coming. Trouble coming in River City and Underdogs. This is Matt Rogers. And this is Bowen Yang. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community community.